0: Um, the Bible reading today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 11 to 17. Um, when I finish reading, um, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and you should respond with thanks be to God. Um, so Colossians 3, 11 to 17. Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all.
1: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, Lord, our prayer this morning is the words of the song that has just been ministered to us. Lord, we thirst. Um, we ask that you feel our thirst for those of us who aren't thirsty yet here, Lord, create a thirst in our hearts. Lord, let us hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So Dami um, began us off last week on the second part of the uh, Colossians series. So what we've been doing for the last maybe 11 weeks or so is walking through the book of Colossians, and we spent time really in chapters 1 and 2, just unpacking what um, Paul has been describing about the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the gospel. And so um, at the end of chapter 2, we began chapter 3 last week, and Dami just began showing us really the implications of being raised with Christ. Um, And he used a football example, which I'm sure those of you who are Liverpool fans or Arsenal fans with heart attacks um, can relate with, um, because nobody expected the match to go the way it went. right? those of you who are Baka fans and Arsenal fans, we are pretty sure that Baka will take care of Liverpool for you. But it didn't happen that way. Um, and we commiserate with you this morning. <laughs> if, you, if so, that's, that's, that really is the sum of the sermon, that um, those of you who are Arsenal fans should use Panador. No. <laughs> that's not the sum of the sermon. But that, that's, that's it, it, it paints a picture or an illustration of what Paul is getting. That when we are joined to Christ, it has implications for how we live our lives. It has implications for how we do community. And so Dami really just showed us um, three things last week. He showed us the um, the end, the means, and the source of Christian community. And so I'm just going to go on from there um, in part two of the sermon, which I've creatively titled A New Family, part two. <laughs> um, and so we we'll see that the, the central point really of the sermon is that being raised with Christ means that we are heavily minded and it has implications for our relationships as a church community. And so we approach the, our relationships from the viewpoint of being raised with Christ, from, from a heavenly viewpoint. And so we see this under three points. Um, we see that we have a new identity. Um, we see that we have a new disposition. And we see that we have a new motivation. And so let's just get right to it. A new identity. In verse 11, verse 12 and verse 15, Paul really is getting at something. And so he continues his arguments about the implications of being raised with Christ. So this, if you like, what theologians would call Christology, this, the, the, the study of Christ, the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the gospel, by reminding us, really, of something that he's pointed out to before. And so in verse 11, he says, here, that is, in this new community. There is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian or Scythian. There is no slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And so to underscore the the reality of this new identity, Paul highlights how, again, union with Christ, being raised with Christ, supersedes every other identity that Christians or that a Christian may have. And so he allies four ways people identify He talks about ethnicity, so Gentile or Jew. He <laughs> talks about religious persuasion or religious convictions, circumcised or uncircumcised. He talks about cultural um, orientation as well, barbarians or Scythians. And then he talks about social class, the slave or the free. And so he responds to all these things by saying, Christ is all. Christ mm. is in all. In other words, What is most important about a person is not where they come from, but where they are going to. What is most important about a person is not where they come from, but where they are going to. And by that, I mean that it is not so much where you are born, but whether you have been reborn in Christ and are headed towards heaven. And so the most important thing about you is not your bank account. is not the school you went to. is not your parentage but it's rather if you have been raised with Christ and are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And why is this important? Before we say why it is important, we have to realize what Paul is not saying here. And so when Paul says that here in this new community, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no slave or free, he does not mean that when you become a Christian, you suddenly cease to be a Yoruba woman who loves parties and ashwabis. Or a Calabari man who knows the reality of oil spillage and how it affects livelihood. Or that suddenly, when you become a Christian, you just get transported from Bariga to Banana Island. That is not what Paul is saying. We know this because in verse 22 and all the way to verses um, chapter 4, verse 1, which we'll see um, in a few weeks, Paul talks about the working relationship of slaves and free. Um, when he talks about slavery, he does not, or, or the relationship between slaves and free men, he is not endorsing slavery. He is not endorsing slavery. Um, in fact, in, in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul basically lampoons the entire system of slavery and he talks about how slave trade is contrary to God's purposes. <laughs> so he's not endorsing slavery. And so he doesn't, he doesn't say that when you become a Christian, like all these things, you know, just sort of disappear. Like some people will say, um, that when, you're, when you're a child of God, I, I become colorblind. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about your background because you're Christians. That's not true. Rather, Paul is saying that when you are in the community of faith, what is most important about you, what is truest about you, is that Christ is all and he's in all. Your identity has become so bound up in the identity and the person of Jesus Christ. Again, pointing back to what Paul talks about in chapter 1, where he's saying that Christ is the one who holds all things together. Christ is the one in whom all things consist. Christ is the one who is really at the head of everything. And so what does he mean by all these things that he's lined out here? I wonder if you've ever, um, for those of us who are older, or for those of us who went to real schools, not the one where they were doing your laundry for you and, and you know everything was done for you, those of us who went to real schools, Nigerian schools. Shout out to all the OAU people in the house who know what it means that you go on strike. One of the things you observe when you're watching a student strike or a student protest or a labor strike is that you see different people from different parts of the country, different creeds, different religions, different things, all bound up together for one common cause. And usually they are singing a song. Solidarity forever. And then it goes on and on, we shall always fight for our rights. Um, and what you observe is that they are bound together by the common bond of the struggle. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter you know, what your class is. What binds you together is that you have a common struggle together. And Paul is saying that for us as Christians, there's a common <coughs> bond that holds us together. We are not bound by the common bond of a struggle. We are bound by the common bond of an identity that has been gifted to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see him talking about ethnicity, Gentile or Jew, that in Christ, in a country like Nigeria, where we have more than 250 ethnic groups, some even say 375, depending on who you ask, what is truest about us is not our ethnic backgrounds. It is that we are people who have been purchased by Christ. Many of us are here, Igbos, Yorubas, um, and even the fact that I've never mentioned your tribe, self. Some of you are even angry with me, right? <laughs> because we are that many. But why are we here? We are here because of Jesus Christ. So thank God for people like um, Tedo and Susha, for people like Dami and Sarah who are fleshing this out in reality for us. And many of us look at that and say, yes, that's the kind of thing I like. But eh, Yoruba people, I can never <laughs> marry a Yoruba person. I remember in primary school, I had, this was primary six. So we had, we're writing, we're praying for common entrance examinations. And I had um, two friends. And so all this talk about, I'll marry you, I won't marry you, all those kind of things. So one of the guys, yeah, we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Buy me six. I know, I know. That, that, that's not the point. That's not the point. <laughs> but we were talking one day, making, you know, just joking amongst ourselves. And one of the people who were supposed to marry each other, uh, <laughs> the guy said, apparently he's from somewhere in Kwara state. And then the, the girl is from somewhere in Kogi state. My side, actually. And then the guy was like, never. He can never marry someone from that tribe. Why? We asked. And the reason, apparently, was that people from that side of the country are promiscuous, they are dirty, they're all of those kind of things. At 10 years old, this guy knew all of those things. And are many of us like that, right? Parents, we, grew up with, we, we have grown up with that bias. Like, even when someone is a Christian, what is truest for us about them is that they are an Igbo person, and they are out to get our money. Or they are from the north and they are dirty and their English is not good. You know, or, for, or, or just all these colorations that we've grown up with. And Paul says, look guys, what is stressed about you is that there isn't Gentile or Jew among you, but Christ is all and is in all. And he's saying the same thing to us this morning. That what is stressed about us is not so much that you are from wherever you are in the country, even though those things really matter and those things affect how you do life, Those things affect how you see life. But what is most important about you is that you have been redeemed and bought by Christ. And so Paul says to us this morning that that kind of bias has no place in our midst. That kind of bias has no space in our garden. And if you are here this morning and you are someone like that, can I just urge you to just ask God to help you, to open your eyes to see how you are relegating someone, discriminating against the person who has been purchased by Christ, made in the image of God, and now reborn in the likeness of Christ. But Paul also highlights cultural orientations, right? Because some of us, we don't, we don't discriminate against people where they come from. But just culture, like we don't, we, don't, we don't do this kind of culture. And so he talks about barbarians and Scythians. And now there's some. Debate among theologians on who exactly the Scythians were. Were they high class or were they low class? All of those, we don't know. Um, what we do know, however, is that Paul is talking about cultural orientations because barbarians really were those who were non Greeks. And so Greeks were people of a certain class and they would look, at, they would look down on those, um, the way some people look down on people who say, ngbati, ngbati, that kind of thing. And that's the way. Um, Greeks will look down on barbarians. And Paul was saying, look, guys, there is no space for that in our midst. And just similarly for us, we, there's a tendency for us to judge people you know, on the basis of how cool or uncool they are, what kind of shoes they wear, where they shop, where they live, or even sometimes just making fun of people with bad grammar, like someone who says, "Who has uh, your bad friends who have age factor. And I always say hi heat Han, heba hoys. And you are not laughing because like that is good natured fun, right? The way some of you are laughing now. You're not you're not laughing because that is good natured fun. You are laughing Let's let's okay. Let's let's bring it together. You're laughing because this person is really so proud to me. This person is beneath my class. And Paul says that this should not have space amongst us. We look at people on the basis of their earning power. Same thing with social class as well. When he's talking about, um, when, he's, when, when he makes the last generalization he makes, um, there's a tendency for us to think about people where they live, what part of the country they're from, what part of the city they live in, you know. Um, just all of these things. And Paul says, this should not have space amongst us. He talks about the circumcised and the uncircumcised as well. And as we've been walking through, through Colossians, in fact, when we looked um, two weeks ago at the nature of the false teaching that was going on amongst them, it was really something of the sort of going deeper into Judaism, circumcising yourself to be accepted by God. And Paul is saying, guys, what makes you acceptable to God is not what you do with your body. It's not whether you've been circumcised or not. It is that you have been purchased by Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7:19, Paul shows that circumcision does not endear us, does not endear people to God. And if you were at GC this past week, you saw that there were some of those some of those things that we looked at that we have differing opinions on, and some of us think that. If you don't do this my way, you are not really with Christ. Maybe you are in the circle, but you are like in the outer courts. So those of us are, we are really inside. And so the question to us this morning is, what is your circumcision? Is it alcohol? Is it tithing? Is it movies? Maybe you believe Christians should even look at, watch movies at all. Is it music? Paul says all of those things, that we can have disagreements among us, but those things, whether we do or don't do them, do not endear us to God. And he, he wraps up all these things by saying that what is truest about the gathering of God's people is that Christ is all, he's everything, and He is in all, he's in all of us. He, he talks about this again in verse, verse 12. Showing our new identity, calls believers God's chosen ones. In verse 15, he talks about us as members of one body, that we have been given a new identity that binds us together, that has, you know, that that makes the truest thing about us who we are in Christ. And some of us may remember what it was like to serve, um, go to NYC camp, and one of the things that happens very quickly. in, um, in, on, on the camp is that you probably have come from a part of the country where, you are, and gone to another part of the country that you are not originally from. And one of the things you are doing very quickly is finding out who are those people who are from the same side as you are. Is there someone from my school who is there? Or maybe you schooled abroad. You, maybe you, you, you lived in a foreign country um, where you didn't understand the language. And then one day, as you're walking past, you just saw a Niger guy. It just changes everything. Why? Because even though the person is Igbo or is, or is Yoruban, you are from a separate tribe, the fact that you have a common identity binds you guys together. And it's the same thing Paul is saying to us here this morning. That what is truest about us as a new family is that we have a new identity. not the ethnic groupings we come from, not the social orientation we have, not the cultural orientation we have, not even the varying religious convictions that we have, but that we have been purchased by Christ and he has gifted us with a new identity. And so friends, this morning Paul shows us that the reality of being raised with Christ supersedes everything else about us. And So can I just ask this morning, that is this new identity true for you, or is this something you just gloss over, and you hold on to your Yorubaness, or your Iboness or your Tivness or whatever else it is that is important about you? Is the reality that you you have a new identity, that your brother has a new identity, is that true for you, or you hold on to the fact that they are of a different educational background than you? Paul says, Christ is all, and he is in all, But then he also shows us, and we'll go to the second point. He shows us that we have a new disposition. We see this in verses 12 to 16. We have a new disposition. Or if you prefer, a new configuration. right? And just imagine someone who has been using a cutlass. You have a huge garden to to, to tend to. And you have a cutlass. And then you've been using a cutlass for, like, what? The last five, ten years and then suddenly someone gives you a, a, a lawnmower, a lawnmowing machine, what you quickly realize is that I can't take this lawnmower and be hitting it on the ground. It won't, it won't, it won't do what it's meant to do. Because it has a different configuration from the cutlass, I had to learn how to operate it. And Paul says the same thing, that when we are in Christ, we have a different orientation, a different disposition, if you like, that our disposition becomes not just to ourselves or inwards, but outwards to the community. And so if you remember earlier, like Dami showed us last week, um, that there are certain things that we must put off. There are certain things that mustn't be part of the family. And so in verses 5 to to 9, Dami showed us that things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, those things we are meant to put away. But in verse 12, which is before us today, Paul says, He literally says that to be a Christian is not to remain naked. That he's saying put off things, but if you put off something, you must put on different things as well. And so he begins the list for us. Let's look at it, verse 12 to 16. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved our new identity, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so we see in these verses that Paul shows us that our disposition is no longer to selfish gain. It's no longer towards ourselves, but it's towards others. If you observe all the things that mark verse 5 to 9, is really the self. is how much pleasure can I get, sexual immorality? How can I gratify my, my desires, evil desires? How can I take advantage of the other person's loss? But Paul says, in this new community, we have a different disposition that makes us go outwards, serve other people, take care of other people, attend to other people. And he really begins to walk through this list for us. And so let's look at it quickly. What are the things that ought to be characterizing our lives? He mentions compassion. And by compassion, he really just means loving brothers and sisters in a way as to empathize with them and show them mercy when they are in need. To care for them, to empathize with them. Someone is going through something. Put yourself in their shoes and to love them and show them mercy. He talks about kindness. Loving our brothers and sisters by going above and beyond what is expected of us by doing gracious acts for them. So this emanates out of what Christ has done for us. We we no longer expect someone to always ask us for something, or expect, to always, or expect it to always be convenient for us. Rather, we go above and beyond what is expected of us. We are constantly showing people kindness. We are helping people out. We are, we are doing stuff for people. We are serving them, seeking to serve them, always looking for opportunities to serve them, rather than opportunities for us to be served. He talks again about humility. Loving our brothers and sisters by thinking not less of ourselves, but thinking about ourselves less. Some of us may remember the book um, that we read last year during the holiday reading program, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And we saw basically in that book that to be humble is not to say, like, ah, Elijah, you can't play. Oh. Man, you guys just killed that song. I say, eh, play, I can't play. Oh. I can't play at all. I'm very bad at playing the keyboard. I just keep going off. you know." And just please pray for me, brother. I I want to be good. This kind of false humility. It is not saying that you don't know how to do what you do well. It is recognizing that you can do what you do well, but all of that comes from Christ. You see, the problem with people who are always falsely humble is that they are still thinking about themselves. When you say to someone that, guy, you can't play rather than just say, praise God for that, man. Uh, I thank God for that. He's talking about himself, uh, how I don't know how to play, how I really mess up all the time, and they go on and on and on. But rather, true humility, like we find about Christ, is recognizing who you are, knowing your identity, and at the same time, using that identity to serve other people. Mark tells us about Jesus. He says, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many. That is the definition of humility. Now we don't look, we don't we don't want people always to come around us, you see. People who are always falsely humble. That's what they love. They love people coming around them. And then when you say, Oh, you can't play, say, no, brother, you can play. Oh, no, I can't play. No, but you can really play, oh, and then it goes on and off, on and on, on and on, on. It's really about you. But when we are humble. We recognize that this is where I am. This is what God has gifted me to do. This is what I can do well. Praise God for that. I'm going to use that to serve other people. He talks also about gentleness. He says gentleness must characterize our lives. And gentleness really is loving our brothers and sisters in such a way as to be tender and careful with them, even when you disagree. You see, the difference, the, the difference between a surgeon and a butcher is gentleness. They are really doing the same thing. They are, they are both, no, really, they are really doing the same thing. They are both cutting you. They are both, you know, they both want to draw blood. They are, they are really doing the same thing. But one is doing it in such a way as to cause healing. The other one is doing it in such a way as to just, like, I just want to sell this person off. And that's what Paul is saying to us here this morning. You know, some of us, we we love carrying the banner of we're truth people. I I don't fear anybody. I just give it to them. If they deserve it, I give it to them. I stick it in them. There really is nothing like that. In fact, one of the things John says about Jesus in John chapter 1 is that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. And so if we are going to be followers of Christ, part of this new family, these people who have been raised with Christ, this same gentleness must characterize our lives. This same Christ who was gentle did not have any qualms with chasing people out of the temple, disorganizing, as like when they were taking advantage of people, chasing them out, flogging them, turning the tables upside down. And yet when people were grieving and mourning, we see that a woman who was suffering, her son had died. Christ himself went there and helped out. When Lazarus died, Jesus Christ, he knew what he was going to do, right? He wasn't caught on our not He wasn't crying like, hey, Father in heaven, what am I going to do now? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. And what does he do? He weeps with them. Gentleness. To be tender and to be careful with people, even when we disagree with them. Paul says, this must characterize this new family. It must be one of the dispositions that we have towards serving other people. And if I may just stay here a bit, especially for those of us who, you know, by God's grace, are very theological. We, we look, we, we know the doctrines of grace. You already know what theology day is about on Wednesday. When you just saw the topic there, I know what it is. Right? I really don't need this. Or maybe, yeah, let me just come, let me just feel the seat. Like, you are, not, you are not coming to learn something new. Praise God for that. But the problem is that many times we go on Twitter and we just see all that's happening. Like, what's, what's this? What's this person saying? And you're just firing away, releasing bombs with your words, releasing, releasing swords, guns, shooting people down on the net. Paul says that is contrary to the life and the pattern of Christ. Again, because we live in a city where, you know, arrogance, brashness, take it by forceness, if you like, is valued. Like you can't survive in Lagos and and be cold, like they will say in my mother tongue. You can't you can't you can't be, you can't do me, You have to, you know. And how we, how we actually bring the light of Christ to Lagos is not by becoming more like Lagos. It is actually becoming less like Lagos. And I know it's very hard. Like, it is very hard. I was saying to someone, like, I know the way everybody in Lagos, if you say you are very holy in Lagos, there is one way that everybody sins against God in Lagos every day. It is in traffic, driving. Even if you are not driving, even if you are in a bus, like you want your bus to be the first bus that goes past the traffic lights you want your car to be the one that gets in front of someone just you know at that at that junction we always want to just be in a hurry in a haste you know we don't want to be taken advantage of and yet if we are going to be like Christ we must be gentle we must be tender we must be careful Sometimes it may mean giving up our rights. Sometimes it may mean giving up our comforts. But this mark of gentleness and humility must mark us." Paul goes on again. He talks about patience, and really just flowing from gentleness. It means the ability to love brothers and sisters in such a way as to tolerate delays, disappointments, and imperfections without becoming angry or anxious. And again, and that is really hard. How, do you, how can you be patient with your spouse, who every time is always asking you stupid questions? How can you be patient with your sibling, who every time, the person keeps doing the same thing again and again and again. Like is your brain a basket? I've said this thing several times. The advice just keeps going out. I know there are, there are many of us who, who are just like that. We don't like we don't we don't we don't use swear words, but the way we the way we talk to the person, the way we chide the person, like men, it would have just been better to pick a gun and shoot the person. Paul says patience must mark our lives. And then he goes on, he says, "Forgiving as the Lord forgave you. I remember a remark whilekar gave a couple of years ago that he doesn't understand what this means that basically because when you forgive you don't have you don't have amnesia, you can't have amnesia, you can't wipe off the stuff from your brain, and that's true right there's there's a way people talk about forgiveness as though it means like... You offended me? (laughs) Eh? When? I don't remember. And that's not what the Bible means by forgiveness. It means simply, when the Bible calls us to forgive us, Christ forgives us. God never forgets anything, right? Nothing is beyond God's memory. And yet the Bible tells us that God forgives us. And so what that means really is that All the records of sin and all the imperfections we have done, God doesn't hold it against us. And so when the Bible says, forgive us, Christ forgives you, he's simply saying, don't hold the grievance against that person. And there's a way many of us, you know, we really don't like that feeling of powerlessness. Like, I want to keep killing you in my mind, even if I can't kill you outside. I want to keep remembering how you insulted me in front of people, you know, when that, when that person was there, how you've made this remark about my clothes and all of those things. But Christ, Christ says to us this morning, forgive as he has forgiven us. And then he sums up all these things by saying that we should put on love that holds all these qualities together in good harmony. Do you see now why all the definitions I kept giving? was really just using the word love. Compassion. You love them by empathizing with them and caring for them. Patience. You love them by tolerating disappointments and delays. Gentleness. You love them by being tender and careful with them. All of these things shows how much you love people. And Paul is saying to us really this morning that we cannot profess to love people if we are not showing these virtues. And we cannot, at the same time, show these virtues to people if we don't love them. And he says to us, basically, that love ought to be the defining marker of the believer. But then in verses 15 to 16, he goes on by saying that this disposition of selflessness, of self-forgetfulness, of, the other, of being other-centered towards our brothers and sisters has implications for our spiritual growth as a community. It's not just, oh, well. The Bible wants us to be nice to each other and behave well to us. It is really that when we don't do these things, when these things are not evident in our lives, we deprive the community of growing. We inhibit the mission. And so we see in verse 8 to 9 that anger, filthy, filthy language, malice, and slander are all things that we must put over. And they're all things that have to do with the mouth. But now he's saying that in the same way you put away certain things that have to do with the mouth, you must take on certain things that have to do with the mouth. And he shows us in verses 15 to 16 that we must begin to use our mouths to teach and to admonish each other. And when he says that, he's not an injunction for all the people on the preaching team and all the pastors in the church. It is really talking about every one of us to teach and to admonish each other. And some of you may think, "Eh, but I can't come to the front on Sunday." But if you, if you reflect very carefully, this is why GC is important. And if I can just make the plug here, this verse is really, if we are going to obey this verse, you see very quickly that GC is not an optional add-on, like an elective course in university that I can do or not do. It is saying if you are going to be part of this new community of the people of God. You must teach and admonish people. It means basically that at the end of GCO, sometimes in GC, when, so when, when, when we're asking questions, all those things that we are doing, we are teaching and admonishing each other. On Sundays, when we get together after service and we are saying different things, we are teaching and admonishing each other. Teaching sometimes the truth about the gospel, things that someone hasn't seen before, or admonishing saying, no, brother, you did this wrong. Go this way admonishing, caring for the other person, using your mouth in such a way as to build up the community. But what's really interesting about this instruction to teach and admonish each other, if you see verse 16, it says, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, or songs from the Spirit, singing to God, just in case you didn't get it, he's saying, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And by Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's really talking about the Psalms, um, songs based on scripture, hymns, songs based on God's revelation of himself, and songs from the spirits. I take that to mean spontaneous songs given by the Holy Spirit's prompting. So it means that when we gather, when we are singing together, like we will do after the sermon, Um, like we did when we started service, we are really collectively teaching and admonishing each other. There's a sense in which when you are not singing, you are disobeying this passage. Or at the end of GC, when, when, when the leaders ask, does anybody have an impression? Does anybody have something they want to say? When God has given you a song to sing or something to say to the group and you don't do that, you are basically disobeying this passage. how do we do all of this? All the GC people are looking like. (laughs) How do we do all of this? If you notice how verse 16 starts, it says, let the message of Christ dwell in you, how? Richly. And it goes back to that thing that I've been looking at through the book of Colossians, that when, when Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, or when he says things like, continuing him when he uses language that means to abide. He's really just saying, just stay there. Just stay there. I don't know if you've ever seen kids, if you've ever given a two-year-old or a three-year-old sweet, particularly when the child is out of their parents' reach. You know, parents are saying, don't ever take sweet. Don't ever take sweet. But this uncle and auntie deceive the child, make the child disobey daddy and mommy, and take the child out and give the child a sweet or a candy, what are they doing? They want to maximize that opportunity. The child doesn't take it and cracks it and just swallows it. No, he's just licking it, licking it. My, my sister was this way when we were growing up. I would take the, the thing and just crack it. And, and she would, it was like she was deliberately doing it, so that I would beg her, beg her, please give me some. Please give me some. And she would refuse. And that's what Paul is saying to us essentially. Like, take this thing and just stay there. Abide on it. Feast on it. Do it the way you do a cup of in. Just drop the tea bag inside and just let it sit there. Just let it sit there. Thank God, is now around. I can tell you, that is the right way to make a cup of tea. <laughs> Some of you know how Pastor Femi makes his tea. Um, if that is the correct way to make up, just take the tea bag and drop it there. That is the right way to make it. But really that's what Paul is saying. Just let it seep out. Let it seep out. Let the gospel, let the gospel fill your heart. This is the message of Christ. It tells us in um, Colossians 2 verse 5. This is the message of Christ. The gospel. Let it sit there. Let it stay there. And it will affect how you do everything. It will affect the kind of the way you behave towards other brothers and sisters. You affect the admonition and the teaching that you bring towards other brothers and sisters. But then lastly, he shows us that being in this new family of God means that there is a new identity we've seen. There is a new disposition toward others, towards serving others, towards growing the community. But there's also a new motivation. I'll see that in verse 17. And basically, he just re-echoes verse 15 as well. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is reminding us that it is not just because we want to be a nice community. We want to be a community where we sing kumbayas and everybody's happy and everybody gets along And people irritate you, and just like, oh no, it's fine. You know, I just, I'm just really gentle towards you. All of those kind of things. Probably saying no. That is not really the motivation. The motivation, rather, is because of the Lord Jesus. And so He says to us that everything you do should be done really in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he's underscoring that reality that we've seen in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, where he says, Christ is the one who holds all things together. Christ is the one in whom all things consist. In chapter 3, verse 11, that we also saw that he is in all and he is all. And so he says that if Christ is in all, if Christ is the one who holds all things together, if Christ is the one outside of whom your life is meaningless, then it means that everything you do must be done in such a way as to please him. Remember 3, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, where he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him where? In glory. In glory. And so Paul is really saying to the Colossians that, guys, if you have died and have been raised with Christ, this gives you new motivation to serve the family of God. And the Holy Spirit is just saying the same thing to us here, that for as many of us who have died and have been raised with Christ, that the death and resurrection of Christ has implications for how we live in the community. It has implications for how we do life together. That when we recognize that because I have been raised with Christ, I will do all that I do in the name of Jesus Christ. Because I have been raised with Christ and my life is now hidden with Christ, I will lay down my ethnic, sociocultural, and religious preferences and take up this new identity that Christ has given me. Because Christ is coming again and I will be seated with him in glory and I will appear with him in glory. I will clothe myself in love by being compassionate, kind-hearted, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, forbearing of my brothers and sisters. Paul is just really saying to us that there is nothing like a Christian who is heavenly-minded and earthly irrelevant. Some of us have heard those things, like, man, this person is so heavenly-minded and earthly irrelevant. Paul is saying, that is impossible. In fact, C.S. Lewis builds on this, and he says that those who have done the most good for this world are those who have thought of the other world. Some of us know the story of William Wilberforce. It wasn't so much really because the guy was just, even though that was there, he was kind hearted and he was gentle. But the reason why he felt impelled to do so much that he did, even after his motion failed several times in the parliament, was because he was thinking about the other world. And eventually, he stayed through, and he was able to pass legislation that brought an end to slavery. There is nothing like a Christian who is heavily minded and earthly irrelevant. When we set our minds on things above, when we set our minds on Christ and all he has done for us, it affects how we live our lives here and now. And so, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is just saying to us, basically, that we are a new family. It means that we have a new identity. And what is stressed about us is not where we come from, not what we've done, not who our parents are, not what we've accomplished with our hands, but Christ who has purchased us and bound us together. He's saying that we have a new disposition, a disposition that is bent outwards, not inwards, seeking out the good of others in the community, seeking out the good of those who are least like us, seeking out how to build the other person up, attending Jesus, caring for people. And he says that we also have a new motivation because we have been raised with Christ. Because he has died and has risen, we can live this life that he calls us to.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.